Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening in. What a treat I have in store for you in this episode. I'm speaking with my mom, Jenny Ogilvie, the original Waldorfy mama in my world. In this episode, our conversation is going to be focused on choosing the Waldorf approach and then navigating interacting with friends, family, and community who are not so informed about it. I'm sure lots of you can relate. We'll also discuss what it's like to feel not Waldorfy enough. I sort of hate that term, but I feel like it was worth bringing up because it comes up so often. So I thought, let's address this head on here on the show. So you know, the show notes for this episode can be found at waldorfy.com forward slash chat with my mom. As always, I have to give a big shout out to our generous Patreon supporters. Thank you all so much for supporting me to bring this content to all of you. What's Patreon, you may be wondering? Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself to create content that you love with a small monthly contribution. There's also bonus content over in that space that you can't access anywhere else. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a supporter, just visit patreon.com forward slash Waldorfy, and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now let me introduce you to my guest, my mom, Jenny Ogilvy. Jenny Ogilvy is a six-year-old mother of three daughters and a grandmother of two grandsons. Her career for the most of her life was being an at-home mom. At age 50, Jenny began taking yoga classes and decided to go to Bikram Yoga training to become a yoga teacher. This became her second career. She still enjoys teaching yoga, practicing yoga, as well as cooking and European travel. Hello, Mom. Thank you so much for speaking with me today on the show. It's been, I feel like, almost from the very beginning when I first started the podcast, I thought, well, at some point I have to have my my very own Waldorf mom on the show <laughs> to speak with me. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ash. I'm excited uh, to be here. Yes. So I know that I talked about you finding Waldorf for us, myself and, you know, my two younger sisters in the trailer for the very first season of the show. But lots of listeners maybe haven't listened to that trailer or are not familiar. So do you want to just briefly tell the audience kind of how you discovered Waldorf for me and my sisters? Yeah, sure. So first off, I first saw um, something about Waldorf education in a magazine called Mothering Magazine, which I don't think is in print anymore, but I read it when you guys were very little. And I saw it in a few you know, of the, of the magazines. And I remembered that when we were on Cape Cod, I remember seeing a school down there and it said the Waldorf School. So I don't remember how exactly I found it, but I found that there was a Waldorf school in Lexington. And I went and I visited the school. And I remember clearly they had a little, a beautiful school store, which they still do. And I remember going in and seeing these beautiful toys and it was just a magical place. And they had a little area for shopping, but they also had a little area for parents and kids where parents could sit and talk. And I sat down at this table and this little boy, he probably was maybe five years old. The mother was shopping and the little boy came right over to me, sat down with a book, kind of snuggled up next to me and he said, would you mind, Do you, could you read me a book? And the, the child just seemed so kind of different than most little five-year-old boys. He was very engaging. And I, I just sort of thought, hmm, I wonder if like this is what Waldorf kids are like that go to this school. And that kind of sparked my my interest in learning more about the school. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of parents in my generation now find Waldorf through the internet and mm-hmm. what a different – I've talked about this with Theo Groh who was in Hannah's class and mm-hmm. actually has been on the podcast in season one as well. Um, and he does a lot of web design and work on websites for Waldorf schools. And we've had this conversation where Waldorf – the Waldorf experience, Waldorf school is something that just does not come across on a website. And what you just described just made me think of that, how, you know, if you're just someone who's kind of Googling Waldorf and reading about it, it's just not like in so many ways, it's not like going into a school and experiencing it. And I know the times right now are kind of tough for parents to have that experience in many areas with uh, different school communities. But Judy, who spoke with me as well this season and the episode about Waldorf and chest and breastfeeding, she had a similar experience where she said she walked into a school for the first time and was like, these are my people. Here I am. This feels so good. And there's definitely a feeling when you go into a school. And I mean, I think something kind of magical about little you know, Waldorf kids too. So yeah, thank you for sharing that story yeah, you know, it, in your own words. It is definitely a feeling that you walk in and you, I mean, I remember thinking, oh, I wish I went, I wish I went to one of these, I went to a Waldorf school. And actually back then there wasn't the internet. So I, the Lexington school told me about the school up in, at Pine Hills. So that's, you know, word of mouth is how it happened. Right. And you, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later in the episode. You at the time lived so far from that school and quite far from the school we ended up going to as well. And Mm -hmm. I have actually had parents message me and say, you know, I heard that your mom drove you all so far to school. Like, how did you feel about that? And I always say like, yes, it was so worth it. And (laughs) I often could get all my homework done in the car before we (laughs) even got home. It was great. So We're going to be speaking today about the experience of choosing the Waldorf approach and navigating that with friends, family, community, and people who don't know anything about Waldorf that you may encounter. And you dealt with this, obviously, for many, many years. And I'm wondering, do you remember the first time that you told someone, a friend, family, or community member about your choice to pursue Waldorf and what was their reaction? I think the very first time is when um, you went to kindergarten in a private kindergarten in our town. And I, the very first time was I was telling the teach your kindergarten teacher about it. And her first response was just make sure, just really look into it and make sure that, that they're preparing the, the kids properly. That was really her concern that ac- kind of academically you were going to be prepared and so forth. When I started telling family members about it, I sort of got the same response. Um, I got all kinds, I even got responses like, oh, isn't that that school where they don't learn how to read? And I was like, no, <laughs> that's not it at all. And it's so weird. Like, where did these, where do these kind of things even come from? I find it like so interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know where they come from actually, but I, people are misinformed. So, and this was totally different, a totally different kind of misinformed that you maybe were encountering because the internet wasn't there and there wasn't something you could, I mean, I think it actually works both ways. I think back then you had people that were kind of misinformed via like word of mouth or I don't know, something like that. And then now you have, you can find a good resource about something and you can find a less good resource about something online. So it's both helpful and not helpful, I feel like in a way. Yeah. And I also, I also remember a lot of people hadn't heard of it before at all. And am I, I feel like this is probably maybe later in our Waldorf years. I feel like I remember 
you or even myself in grade school ta- saying, oh, I go to a Waldorf school and people saying, oh, is that like, is that a Montessori or something? Yes. Yeah. A lot of people would get it confused with that. And the way I would explain it, of course, I was so new to Waldorf. I really didn't know anything about, you know, how to explain it or anything. So this is before you even went. I would say, well, it, it's not like Montessori, but it is, it is a style of teaching, I, sh- I guess I said. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are so many, I feel like the simplest question is, yes, it's like Montessori in that it's a unique approach to education that's very different than the traditional approach. And I feel like that's kind of what people are reaching for when they would ask, because that would be their point of reference, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in that regard, yes, it's very much like Montessori. It's like, this is an alternative approach. Montessori is an alternative approach. And there are lots of things actually that overlap, but many Mm -hmm. things that do not. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the short, the short answer there. And we could have a a tire. We actually were talking about Montessori this week, you and I, and we should probably have a totally separate episode of talking about Waldorf and Montessori. People have requested that actually. So you had people talking about and asking about making sure that the children were going to be prepared. It's such an interesting thing. Now, of course, I, most of the people I interact with know about Waldorf because I live (laughs) In this like little Waldorf bubble on the hill with our school and both my, you know, both sets of grandparents are very familiar with the approach. So I interact with kind of the what's Waldorf question quite a bit less and I guess a bit more confident in saying like, this is what we're doing and this is what it is uh, than you were when you first discovered Waldorf. It was just harder to find, I think, information. I like that you use the word bubble because I we were definitely outside of any any type of Waldorf bubble because we live half an hour away. So I knew that if we chose to go to the Waldorf school, it was going to be a commitment of driving and time and obviously financial commitment too. And one of the things I did when I was deciding whether to send you to the Waldorf school or not was I actually called three different high schools in the area to ask what their their thoughts or what their opinions were of ninth graders coming from the Waldorf school into their school. Because I was getting a lot of, as I said, does the school prepare them? So when they go to ninth grade, if they don't go to the high mowing school, are they going to be prepared for like a regular public school or whatever? So I did call three schools in the area. And I actually got, especially from one, but I got raving reviews of the students in Hill to these high schools. And that really kind of, you know, push me over. Like, okay, we're going to the Walter school. That's so interesting. I never heard that part of the story. Yeah. But that is a totally, a very convincing thing. If you're wondering if your child's going to be prepared to ask the schools where they may go, yeah. how do kids transition? Yep. Uh, and they've obviously, you know, area of schools would see more than one child too. So that's a really good way. I feel like even now that's super useful for parents to get an idea of how their school is doing and preparing children would be to call the high schools where those children are going. And I know we kind of, or I have said on the podcast probably more than once, oh, you know, my mom, she just kind of like chose Waldorf because it like felt so good. And that really doesn't (laughs) give you any credit for the the work you did actually to d- to really make this decision. And you're calling high schools as a perfect example, but you also took me because I was the oldest and that's when we were kind of deciding. You took me to visit the local public school and mm-hmm. you went and checked out the local Montessori school yep. as well. Mm-hmm. And you really did the rounds, you know, of all I the did options. The rounds. And yeah. yeah, I did. I have to say, I did not have a good experience at the public school. The Montessori school was lovely. But when, you, when I went to Pine Hill, 
and had a tour there and a visit, it was just a feeling. It was just so much more magical. It was some, it was a place that I really wanted you to be at. Just getting that extra, calling the high schools and getting their take on students coming out. Because I, I did want to be in it for the long haul all the way through the eighth grade. So it sounds like talking to the high schools really sealed the deal. Yeah, I think that was the last thing that I did. And yeah, I mean, one of the high schools was a, it was a local private school, which is a very challenging school to get into. And they gave, like I said before, rave reviews of the students that very motivated. I mean, they couldn't say enough about the students that are coming from Pine Hills. So yeah. And that's the best review. Little ones love receiving gifts and I love giving them. But I can't really go about buying every toy, doll, gnome, fairy, and every color, every type of animal or tree, or all the toys to create every landscape and scene. So what do I do? I make them thanks to my subscription with Toy Making Magic. Jessica, the founder of Toy Making Magic, was inspired to create her video toy making tutorials to make Waldorf toys feel more accessible to families on a tight budget. Yes, now you can make your own beautiful Waldorf toys. Each month, Jessica creates a new Waldorf inspired toy making video tutorial. Her monthly subscription is super affordable and packed with value. You'll find tutorials for needle felting, wet felting, sewing, knitting, crochet, whittling, and more all sorts of handmade magic. What have I enjoyed making most? Felted mushroom houses, crochet crowns, play silks, and the playscapes, just to name a few. It's like the Netflix for Waldorf toy making tutorials. Now you try and tell me that you couldn't make use of that. I love how Jessica takes pride in her tutorials being detailed and lengthy so that even beginners can craft along with confidence. Plus, her husband is a super talented professional photographer and videographer, so the quality is really enjoyable as well. Now you can get 50% off your first month of Toy Making Magic by using the coupon code Waldorfy at checkout. To check out Toy Making Magic, just visit mamatellmeastory.com. That's mamatellmeastory.com. So I'm wondering, coming back to interacting with Waldorf and the kind of outside community, what were the most common questions? You talked about a couple, like, will the children be prepared enough when they come out? But were there other kind of out of nowhere questions that people asked us over the years or asked you? As I said before, there was a couple of times like this misconception that the kids, the, the children at the Waldorf School don't really learn how to read or their the curriculum is so far off that, you know, they read much later, which they do, they do start to read later. But I had some people thinking, oh, that's, it's sort of like free play all the time. And that's how they're learning. So you know, again, just a lot of misconceptions. And I think I tried to, with my little knowledge that I had at the time of Waldorf education, I tried to, in a short, you know, little paragraph, describe how the children learn there and maybe a little bit about the curriculum for what I knew, just to kind of set them straight. And did it ever make you feel not confident in your decision in Waldorf? Did you ever feel kind of like people were testing you or did you ever have to like shut a conversation down because it made you feel uncomfortable or, or no? I never did. No, I never had to feel like I had to shut someone down because I sort of really believed what I was doing. Once I made the decision to send you, I was like, this is it. I really believe in this and this is going to work. And I, I think I portrayed that when I was talking about it to family and friends. And so, no, I never had to shut someone down. Like, no, like It's interesting you say that because I feel like there is this being a parent and choosing the Waldorf approach, especially as a route to education, either homeschool or charter school or uh, a private institution, you 
it helps so much to have that kind of level of commitment because there are things that are unique and are different and you have to have a little bit of faith in that process. Like you mentioned the delayed uh, implementation of uh, learning to read or the traditional approach to academics doesn't come until grade one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there are a lot of parents out there that encounter people being like, well, how come they can't read or they can't do this in kindergarten. They can't do that. And there's so much out there that's like kids need to be in the classroom that choosing this approach and working to understand it and support your own decision is so much a part of the process. I was actually just, we were, you and I actually were talking about this with, with another Waldorf parent um, last week, how, yeah. you know, they're kind of like, it's, it's like a journey. You have to you know, you may have like ups and downs and trying to figure this out or figure that out, but the parents are very much a part of it. Like, it's not just you drop your kid off at school, you go home, you have a parent teacher conference, and that's like kind of it. Yeah. Um, you really, you really work with the school and with the teacher as the parent, and that's so much the process. Yeah, and like you said, it 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 is a leap of faith when you take that leap. You know, sort of you have to trust the process, and it is. It is a different process than if you went to the traditional route to a public school in maybe the order that they learn um, different things. And yeah, I mean, I, I do remember having being like, well, is this going to work? Are they, I, I do remember that. And I mean, I don't need to get into specifics, but particularly for example, I feel like the ex learning to read. I mean, I have said this before on the show. I taught myself how to read basically from those little like read on like tape things yeah. very early. Yeah. I, by first grade, I was very comfortably reading. But, but you were, but, and you were, a, I read to you a lot. You were the, when you, when you were little. So I think that really developed your love of reading. Yeah. So. And Hannah, the littlest, I mean, my littlest sister, <laughs> she loves reading too now as an adult. And she's obviously gone on to, you know, become successful, but she didn't read until much after myself. Yeah, much after. In fact, a lot of things, spelling, there were a lot of things that she was, I'll use the word slower to get um, than you and your sister were. But she had a real turning point where I felt like she was always kind of struggling. And she was, you know, a, a lovely, happy child going through the grades. But after eighth grade, she had a I was concerned with her after eighth grade. Oh, is she going to make it in high school? And I don't know what happened over the summer, but she had this turning point where she got into high school and it was like, boom, she was doing straight A's. So something, it almost was like everything kind of came together in those eight years. And then she went through this transition and boom, everything happened. And I wonder if, you know, she was making it through and kind of getting the different concepts, but she didn't feel any kind of pressure that made her dislike school. Like she always liked school actually she that entire time. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind yeah. of something that's interesting too, then for her to have that full turnaround on her own without yeah. any like push or force too, is, is kind of an interesting scenario. I'm wondering in what ways did friends, family, and community start to notice differences in myself and the girls uh, in between us and possibly other children? And I first want to introduce this question as well and say to the audience that whenever I speak to, oh, quote unquote, differences in kids that parents are kind of choosing the Waldorf approach for, I have also observed that that's not to say like children cannot be, you know, wonderful or lovely who do not have that. But I do feel like it's a common observation that Waldorf kids have these things 
in common that we may discuss like now. Certain traits. Certain traits. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying to introduce this question with this isn't unique to only Waldorf kids are good or something. So I'll pose the question again, which is, did you notice that friends, family, and community started noticing that there were maybe differences with us? They they did actually. And they, I don't remember them saying anything specifically that they noticed, but I do remember having some friends say to me, I want my kids to be like your kids, which is really interesting. And I, and I also would say it's really not me. It's not how we're raising them. I really feel like it's the school that they go to because it's so much a part of their lives. And I also think that in general, friends or other children, like in not at the Waldorf school, but other friends or family here who maybe had their kids, you could watch a lot more TV. I think the not watching TV so much made a difference in your behavior and your int- and how you engaged with people and how you were interested in things and not being overstimulated. And how did you go about pursuing Waldorf in our home life? I mean, already you kind of described that you felt a little on the outside of the Waldorf bubble. So what were the things that you, you know, you had decided pretty early, you know, I, I'm going to move forward with this Waldorf approach. We're going to send our kids to the Waldorf school. How did that change the way that you operated with us, you were a stay-at-home mom with us um, yep. in the home. So how did that change yeah. kind of how you, what did you do per se that was like Waldorf in the home? Well, with us? well, I mean, first off, I would say that I slowly, and it was hard because you, I didn't want you to notice so much, but like we had the regular old plastic toys around and, you know, your usual like kind of Toys R Us type of toys and and certainly was very different than, you know, the Waldorf style of toys. And so I gradually started quietly making them disappear <laughs> in the in our house. And then going to, you know, the Waldorf schools had these beautiful stores and just replacing them with nice, beautiful wooden blocks and soft dolls and sort of things that didn't have Mickey Mouse on them and characters and or TV characters. And um, it was a gradual thing. I do, I have to say, I do remember when um, your teacher, your first grade teacher, Mr. Hour came over to have his home visit in the beginning. I remember like grabbing all the plastic toys and like, throwing them in a closet like, oh, they can't see, you can't see that we have all these plastic toys, which I'm sure is, I'm not the only one that's experienced that. But there was a gradual I'm like dying right now laughing because I know that so many people, this is so many people, so many people. Well, it's so funny because I even think I took like a blanket or maybe it could have even been a silk and I, <laughs> and I covered the TV up with it. Yeah. Like you couldn't tell there was a TV underneath it, but I did sort of feel in the, in the beginning a little different. And so, but we did, I, I did gradually start replacing things with nicer things, things that invoked imagination and textures, things in nature. And you had mentioned before that you really, one of the things you really implemented was trying to cut back on TV. So you found Waldorf. It's not like I was born and you all of a sudden were Waldorfing up your life with us or me. No. Um, but you had started, you'd mentioned, you know, you'd started kind of reading Mothering Magazine and that had actually turned you on really to a holistic approaches for all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Like oh. you, you didn't really know anybody that breastfed and you breastfed mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, and then that's obviously how you found kind of Waldorf through that. And then 
it, was it through your discovering Waldorf that you decide that you noticed or they had said to you like we don't you know TV is not so much of a thing and yeah. and so up until a certain age I was watching TV so how did yeah. you so I don't know how I found I don't remember how I found this um, particular person he was a, an older pediatrician in our area not connected at all with Waldorf and um, I'm I think I went and saw him speak somewhere and he had done. Um, a lot of research into the effects of television on different ages of children. And I found his talk like really fascinating, the findings, the studies. And so I actually asked him, I contacted him and asked him if he would give a talk at your kindergarten in town where you went to kindergarten. And he came and spoke and I, it was, you know, I put little posters up for people to come. It was a little parent thing on in the evening. And it wasn't really very well attended because I think people were like, you know, what's wrong with plugging my kid into Cinderella in the afternoon so I can get some stuff done, you know? And so, but that's really where I, where I really found out about the effects of TV on kids was through this particular man. Very interesting. And then you really, you commit to that. For sure. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's interesting because I don't remember that both what you described and people ask this sometimes. They say, you know, how do I take toys I don't love in my house anymore? How do I turn off the TV when it's been on? And I don't remember that being like this was old enough that I could have remembered, you know, and I don't remember any of that being like hard or traumatic or weird at all. Yeah. Um, it, I don't remember it being traumatic, you know, maybe certain days, maybe it was more traumatic than other. Not, I, and I don't want to use the word traumatic, but challenging, let's say. Yeah. And this is one of the qualities I think you were t earlier kind of speaking speaking to. And people ask sometimes, they say, how can I, you know, implement Waldorf like without the Waldorf school? Like if I just want to be in my home and that's, I actually asked Darcy Drayton this in another episode. And it, we kind of have come back to this quality many times, especially in the early years is like turning off the TV is one of the, one of the best things that, that you could do, I think. Um, yeah. Because it just, it creates so much open like time and kids have to figure out a way to fill it. And yeah. then they generally do that with play and creating. And that is one of the qualities when we were talking about things that um, I find people observe, although I've been out very little in the last couple of years about my son, <laughs> is that he just will really, he comes up with like, he goes off and like plays and just like comes up with stuff and can be like completely entertained like in his play you know, in the story he creates for like so long, you know, and I remember you taking us to, in for instance, like to downtown Boston, like the closest big, big city and you be like going to run an errand or something. And my sisters yeah. and I like creating this story with our dolls that we were like mummies and like just being like totally self-entertaining, like through the yeah. whole day of stuff, you know? Um, well, when kids are watching TV, the, the TV is giving them all that information. They don't come up with it on their own because they're so stimulated and it's all given to them. So there, there's really very little need for them to use their imagination, which is, it's much better to use your imagination. So, and also if you've ever, if you've ever witnessed young children watching TV and then you turn the TV off and just watch what happens for the next 15 to 30 minutes, watch the behavior of the kids. It, they have to let out this energy and it's, um, they're very kind of hyper and, it's very interesting. <laughs> well, we've talked about this in this season of episodes because we're talking about the early childhood years and how the child is so just trying to get into their physical body. So when they're so stopped 
to be focused in on something with their eyes. It's like that physical, all that physical exploration and play and movement that's so them at that mm-hmm. developmental stage, they're not, mm-hmm. not really getting. So that kind of makes sense that it goes for some kids can go a little bit, you know, they feel like they're going bananas afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you dealt with interacting with friends, family, community members uh, who didn't follow a Waldorf approach. And I'm wondering, for example, like we go to a play date at the neighbor's house and the neighbor's just allowed to watch as much TV as they want. Or uh, we are going to an event where there'll be cousins or family and you are making an effort to, particularly I'm thinking of the early childhood years, like keep us more sheltered from you know, things of an inappropriate nature for that developmental stage. And you're trying to be really sensitive to that. So did you ever, how did you navigate that? The way I navigated it was if I thought they were, um, if you went over someone's house and you guys were going to be kind of plunked down watching TV, I would have you over our house (laughs) where I knew that you weren't going to be watching TV. That was the easiest way to do it. I don't ever remember Maybe once or twice I said to certain moms, like, you know, we don't really do the, t- the TV thing, so if you cannot have, have them watch TV. But the easiest thing for me was to have the play dates here. And so I knew <laughs> you were going to watch TV. Right. And then, of course, as children get older, it does get to be like at some point we have to like interact with like the real world too. And I know different parents who choose to follow Waldorf approach have different points at which they feel comfortable with their child. Like doing different things or exploring different things outside the home that you don't usually like roll with, like in your own home. Yeah. No. I mean, I remember when you were older, like towards the you know eighth grade and stuff, you guys would watch a movie, like you and your friends would watch, I'd let you watch a movie, but you had a couple of movies that were, I would call holistic movies. <laughs> they were very old fashioned family, fr- family friendly movie. Yeah, I actually have a memory of going to a sleepover at someone's house, and I think we watched Star Wars, and this was before <laughs> eighth grade, and I got, like, scared. I had to call you. It's, a, I think, for me, the only time I had to call you to come get me from a sleepover because I was like, oh, I, God, do, I remember long. that, actually. No, your your favorite was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> I know, all the old musicals. I, yeah, still, old I musicals. still love all the old musicals. Like, yeah. yeah, singing, yeah. dancing, yeah. which is interesting because you know that would inspire us to sing and dance. As kids. So that's kind of interesting too, huh? Just sing and dance. And, you know, the other thing that you, all three of you did um, a lot when you were younger is you would put on these plays. <laughs> Do you remember this? And you had costumes and you were always the director. You were always the boss. <laughs> <laughs> but the imagination was, I mean, it, you had everyone had a character and you gave them lines and then you would perform it for us. And the little neighbors like were too little and would kind of act up. And I mean, that was great. <laughs> often would end in disaster. I, after it would, often it would end in disaster. In my memory. <laughs> Have you been looking for something specially crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind? Wouldn't it be amazing if this content promoted values like kindness, empathy, and respect to help build a gentler world? Would you love a break but feel a little guilty about turning the TV on? 
then you're going to be pretty excited to learn about Sparkle Stories. With Sparkle Stories, your family can enjoy a world of 1,300 plus original audio stories for ages three and up. Sparkle Stories is dedicated to helping the world go a little slower and be a little kinder. Their audio-only approach invites children to adventure, wonder, and dream in a safe and secure way. Audio stories are a low-pressure way to make even the shyest of readers hungry for more adventure and learning. My older son is three and a half, and I love that I can search for stories based on his age or story topic. For him, I love that the stories are recorded slowly for young ears, ensuring maximum comprehension and enjoyment. It's been such a nice way to build a quiet rest time into our active days. I've also gifted Sparkle Stories to my six-year-old niece twice now, and I know she enjoys the longer tales and ongoing series. My favorite thing about Sparkle Stories, it is such a great alternative to the TV. Their audio-only stories spur children to use their imaginations and grow their curiosity compared to image-based entertainment like TV. Especially having our new little one in the house, I love using Sparkle Stories to keep my three-year-old's mind engaged and having fun while I get things done. I've teamed up with Sparkle Stories to offer an extended 30-day free trial so you can enjoy the entire library of Sparkle Stories, over 1,300 original audio stories for ages three and up, and you can trust me, you will enjoy. To sign up, just visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up and use code WALDORFEE and know that this coupon code is just good through the end of 2021, so don't delay. I just love Sparkle Stories' selection of gentle stories for growing minds. I think most of you know by now how much I truly love all things Waldorf. What can I say? It's what I was fortunate enough to get to experience as a child, and now I'm so enjoying learning more about all of it with you listeners as an adult. You know the Waldorf goodies are beautiful, but where do you find that quality selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies? Well, you needn't look any further than Palumba. Palumba, loosely meaning wooden dove, was formed in 2007 to fill the need for the desire to have safe, high-quality, all-natural toys made in the U.S. Palumba's selection of products are carefully chosen to ensure that they're made of wood, wool, silk, and cotton along with other natural materials. Palumba is also the only retailer that features the complete Camden Rose line. Camden Rose's commitment to durability, beauty, natural, and renewable materials make them the American leader in eco-friendly natural toy and children's furniture design. A handful of items come from a women's cooperative in Peru, while the majority of items are made in the U.S., At Palumba, they believe that imaginative, open-ended play with simple toys crafted from beautiful, natural materials offers children warmth and a sense of well-being when discovering their world. If you've listened to this show before or follow on social media, you know that Palumba is my favorite place to get all the quality Waldorf things. I would so love for you to check them out. You can shop their selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at their website, palumba.com. That's P-A-L-U-M-B-A.com. So how did you deal with gifts? So, I mean, we're coming around to the, you know, holiday season Mm -hmm. and in our house, I feel like more because everyone who knows us and all the grandparents and everything know what kind of, uh, if someone's going to be giving a gift, they kind of know what's developmentally appropriate and what we would kind of not mind having in our house. I mean, for us, the biggest challenge is just to try. <laughs> and you're you're the number one uh, culprit of this. Try to uh, minimize so we don't totally overwhelm and make it this like holiday just about just about the gifts. Yeah. Um, but for and I'm sure you probably navigated this. How did you? Did you try and control what people brought into your home, brought into our home? Because I don't really remember that being a thing or an issue. So somehow you must have dealt with it. And I just didn't know kind of how 
how you did it, but I do get asked this by people yeah. to say, you know, how do you interact like with the grandparents and with people that want to gift something to yeah, a child? I, I mean, we, you, your godparents always, first of all, your godparents always gave you books and really wonderful books. So that was great. But so um, that's a simple solution for parents too, yeah. just to say that if someone's mm-hmm. going to get a gift, you could say, we love books. That's what we do actually, because while we're really minimalistic over here with most of our stuff, we're like book hoarders. So yeah, <laughs> we always say books. You are know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> book hoarders are okay. But if you, you know, say for your birthday or something, you got, you know, some little Barbie camper or something plasticky or I, I think I'd let you play with it. But the interesting thing with those type of toys is you got tired of them really quickly, those type of toys. So it was sort of an easier thing to like, oh, okay, you can play with that for a little bit. And then you get tired of it. And then it would sort of quietly disappear because you didn't have to use so much of your imagination as as other things are being outside. So that's kind of how I dealt with that. And actually, now that you mention it, my memory too with things like a Barbie set or something, those toys often, one from maybe a like creative play standpoint, but the other standpoint why I feel like I would leave it behind is because it always felt like you needed another thing for it, that yeah. kind of toy. Like you always needed, if you had a Barbie, then you needed like more clothes and then you needed the house. Like it always felt like you needed more stuff for that kind of a toy. Yeah. Versus like it. And that's their intention. That was, yeah. That's the company's intention. <laughs> yeah. And so. I think that's kind of something to notice too is like is the toy we talk about kind of the open-endedness of it but does it elicit like the need for something else then yeah. that's not really kind of a, a odd thing to like inspire and i feel in a it, I, way. I feel as much as possible i'd like to, you all to be outside and you know we have the woods behind our house and you guys would you know set up little homes and little fairy houses and that was where a lot of your time was spent out and back playing house and stuff like that. Yeah. So now I'm wondering, we talked earlier about this little Waldorf bubble and how you felt like you're kind of on the outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that a little bit more because I know that that is, that was a, a very palpable feeling. I think more so in the time when we were going to Waldorf school and I could get into why a little bit, you know, after I hear kind of your input, but how did you feel? So you had decided you were going to pursue this Waldorf approach. We were going to go to this school. Mm -hmm. How did you kind of feel on the outside of that? Um, And I think that this is uh, along the lines of this conversation of like, I'm not Waldorf enough, which at some point, I feel like everyone like that enters everyone's sphere when like even exploring Waldorf, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I felt like, I felt like that so much in the beginning, um, so much. And we were, there was maybe two families that lived further away. Like we did. We were 30 to 35 minutes away from school. So, and also you started in the first grade and not in kindergarten. And I sort of felt like so many of your classmates started in kindergarten. So they already had this relationship and the parents already knew each other and they knew about the Waldorf approach and I really didn't know anything. So it was hard. It was hard. I mean, I think the best, the way I I sort of handled it was to have you have play dates out there. So I got to know parents and you could get to know your new classmates, but it was hard with the the distance. Um, I think a lot of parents feel that coming into first grade. And I want to point out just from my experience coming into first grade and and you feeling that and me 
having this experience going to a new school that actually in the first grade and most, not probably not all, but most of the Walder schools that I've visited and seen often have more than one kindergarten that's feeding into the first grade. So actually the feeling in my memory, even though I didn't really know anyone when I started, was that kind of not everybody really knew. Obviously there were kids coming in who didn't go to kindergarten too, Mm -hmm. but in the first grade, especially because often there's these two classes feeding in together, there's Uh still this like, we don't really know each other vibe, uh-huh. which is, I'm sure, not less the case as each year goes by. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting that you, you know, you had that feeling, but I like didn't really, you know, have that almost at all. Yeah. Uh, and then how did you start to feel like, how did feelings come up for you? Like you're not Waldorf enough. Like, did you interact with people or like circumstances with a teacher that kind of made you feel like, oh, I'm not doing it right or something? Yeah, I, I think that I felt, I always felt like I didn't know enough about um, the Waldorf approach or a lot of people had were in evening groups that read books and discussed them and I didn't do that. I probably should have. <laughs> I chose to learn sort of on my own. Well, and in your defense, I mean, you already were driving back yeah. and forth 35 minutes. So then go back at night seems like, you know, a little, a little much. Yeah. But anyway, I also felt like, oh, my, my, the food I send you to school with isn't healthy enough or I wasn't, um, I wasn't going the homeopathic route and everybody else, everybody's here. I I think I had a lot of preconceived things that made me think, Oh my goodness, I'm not Waldorfy enough. Are you dressing us warm enough or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. And I think once all three of you were there and we kind of were established there, it it got a little, it definitely got a little bit better. And you all three started making friendships and I would visit other people's homes and, you know, maybe see a plastic toy or two. And and then I would be like, okay, you know, we've got a couple of plastic things in here. I'm not so bad. Right. Like you started to realize that Waldorf in real life wasn't like Waldorf in the classroom. Yeah. Like when you go, I think that's something is you go into the classroom and it's so exquisite and all everything's like natural and it's so beautiful. You see that wall of kindergarten and you're like, wow, I want my house to be to like, be like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But the reality is, and people have asked me this too, they're like, is there anyone that is like full out Waldorf, like full <laughs> out with like, no, 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 like no wavering from like the 100% natural toys or like 100% like natural fibers, clothes, whatever. Yeah. And I say, I do know one maybe two families that yeah. were really intense about it. Um, yeah. And they are knowing their adult children. They're super lovely. Yeah, I don't think they're somehow like on a pedestal above all the rest of us. And yeah, I think that you said mentioning visiting like other families and just going to see their homes and realizing like, yeah, we're all the classrooms. One thing, but we're all out here just like Waldorfing in real life, you know? And, and also you don't have to be like a perfect Waldorf parent to have your child succeed in a Waldorf school. I mean, that's not what you should strive for to be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm doing everything perfectly the way Steiner would want me to do it and the way school wants me to do it because that's okay. You don't have to be perfect. Right. You have to be yourself. Yeah. And that's what makes our classrooms like interesting and diverse. And yeah. I think, you know, earlier we talked about how it's a journey as a Waldorf parent. You know, yeah. you're you're asking questions. And I think for me, the hardest thing that I see and the entire inspiration for this podcast was I feel because of these feelings that come up, like I'm not Waldorf enough, there's this barrier between parents and especially in the earlier grades or first grade with a new teacher, this barrier between parents and school where they don't feel like they can reach out for information the same, well, why are we doing it this way? Or like, why is my kid, you know, or 
Yeah. What, why is this in the classroom? And, and that kind of feeling of discomfort, then they don't feel like they have a place to go with the, with the questions because they're like, I'm not Waldorf enough or should yeah. I have known this already? Yeah. And I definitely felt um, nervous. I, I think I um, had this preconceived notion, which was not right. I had this preconceived notion that all these other parents know all about this approach and why we have certain, why we do certain things in certain grades and why we play with these toys. And I'm, I did feel like, oh, I'm the only one who, I did feel like a little bit outsider, like I, I should know this, but I don't know that, you know, why we do this, but I felt like everybody else did, which is you know, not the case at all. So, And I think that the underlying answer to your question, like, am I, you know, what's Waldorf and am I Waldorf enough, often didn't actually even lie within Waldorf education. It actually was even kind of deeper than that in that lots of the parents were involved in the anthroposophical community yes. and studying anthroposophy, which informed mm-hmm. kind of how they lived their life, which then kind of gave them an under- a deeper understanding of Waldorf education because they understood anthroposophy a little bit more. And I think that's something that you maybe observed later on, like, oh, that's the thing that was like missing in my understanding. But in the early grades, like you wouldn't have been able to put that together at all, really. No. In fact, when I was looking into, when I decided to send you there, I hadn't even heard that word anthroposophy. And I don't even think I could say it until like three years ago. (laughs) No, but like, I didn't even know anything about that. And um, we had, you know, wonderful books to get more informed that that were sold at, at our lovely little store. Um, And some of them I, I did try to read, but I'm, the type of reader that I am, I it, it was very hard for me to understand some of the books. Well, let's cut yourself some slack, okay? Because okay. most people, even like really hardcore, like I'm really going to get into anthroposophy people, are like enjoy digesting these books in a group. Often yeah. the way people find and kind of deeper get deeper into anthroposophy is studying in a study group. And that's definitely how I would recommend approaching any like definitely. kind of work of Steiner. Yeah. I think it would be just – You'll yeah. get it more. If yeah, you doing it on my own was uh, hard, challenging, hard. Very challenging, if even yeah. if even doable for some yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, I think that when you, when we were little, there were way more families whose parents were actually really studying anthroposophy mm-hmm. and involved in the anthroposophical community. Yeah, I feel like now sending uh, my little one to school and given he's really little in a really little class, that there are the group of parents that just kind of don't know anything about anthroposophy or kind of approach the Walder school from the same place that you did, which is like, this is really cool. It feels really Mm -hmm. nice. And I like it Mm -hmm. is more. So I think there's kind of less of the um, hardcore. (laughs) We call them kind of, yeah, the like more hardcore, like Waldorf people who are coming from that deeper understanding of, uh, anthroposophy. But that's where I think if parents are saying, oh, you know, I don't like get this or that that may be the missing link for you if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't understand, you know, why are we doing it this way? And um, because some of the things that are in Waldorf education that come forward have to do with Steiner's view on human development. Like I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of warmth, for instance, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. why is your Waldorf teacher keep coming up to you and saying, you know, your kid, your kid needs another layer. They need like the wool long underwear. And you're, yep, like, I got that. And you're like, it's so expensive. Why, yeah, I yeah. Why would I be doing this? You know, have to do with when 
Steiner's uh, view on human development. And if a child is, you know, losing heat and really cold, then their develop then their body's energy can't go into growing and developing the brain in like the way it's supposed to be, which actually kind of makes a lot of sense. It I does. Mean, yeah. I mean, there's sort of a reason behind everything. There is a reason behind everything and not everything's always explained. And that's why this podcast is here. So yeah. I hope that, this, you know, we're making those connections in this episode. You know, you sent three of us through eight years of Waldorf school. I'm wondering what did you feel was the greatest benefit or the greatest kind of joy that you got from seeing us experiencing that as a way to be educated and then going out into the world? So I would definitely say if I had to pick the top one, the greatest benefit is to see all of you have a real desire as you grow older to continue your desire to learn about anything. I mean, about plants or about you know, science or about medicine for Emily, you really are motivated to learn all you can about a certain subject that you're interested in. You're very diligent about that, but it's a, a real, I would say a, a lifelong love of learning, um, which is really important. I'm just thinking back to when you said noticing the differences, people that notice differences in you. When you were in high school, I don't know if you remember, you came home one day from a letter with a letter, a sealed letter from a teacher. And I thought, oh dear, what happened in class that I'm getting a letter home from the teacher? And I opened it up and I, I hope I saved it somewhere. But this particular teacher wrote me a letter about how engaging you were in class and how what a different student you were. I think it was in ninth grade. And the teacher said, you know, I've never had a student come up to me and shake my hand before class and then take class and then afterwards actually come up to me and say, thank you, shake my hand and leave. And that was like, wow, that's, you, kids don't do that. <laughs> so you had this, you really developed this love of learning and, and respect as well. Yes, I do remember that letter. <laughs> and I was also like, why is the teacher sending something home in a sealed envelope? Well, is there anything else that you, you know, kind of experienced or any, I guess, like little tidbits of advice you could give to parents who may be experienced or are going through choosing the Waldorf approach, be it, you know, we talked mostly about the experience in the classroom, but if you're homeschooling too, I'm sure most, if not all homeschooling parents go through a lot of the same kind of interaction with friends, family, community, like you know, why are you choosing this? Or yeah. Kind of what, what, do you have any piece of advice, I guess, to parents? I, well, I think it's really common to have these questions and, you know, maybe some doubts, is this the right path? And I would say to have faith in it, that have faith that your child will be a prolific lifelong learner and be have passions and be interested in the world. And I would say have faith in it. And I would, I would do it again in a second. I would send, I would do all the driving and send you out there again in a second. So it was, it was very worth it. And I'm wondering too, you spoke to just now the faith that you have to have like kind of in the choice to go through with an alternative, you know, any alternative approach, but we're talking about, you know, Waldorf obviously. Yeah. But it's also engaging, engaging, right? With the teacher and participating. So you, I feel like you struck the perfect balance with that as a parent. And I'm yeah. sure you witnessed like some parents are like, trying to control and over, over, like, and then there's parents that just like drop their kid off and leave. Yeah. And Waldorf does, I think, kind of ask a little bit of something in the middle, like between having faith and then also engaging too, right? 
Yeah, and there's there's so many opportunities to be in, engaging too, from helping out. There's a lot of class things that you can help out with class parents. You can volunteer at the school and the office. There's a lot of ways to get involved. And you know, the amount is up to you. If you're a working parent, that might be harder, maybe getting involved on the weekends or festivals. But don't feel like, oh, I can't send my kids here because I can't I I know so many parents are they're all involved and they're there all the time and you don't have to be there all the time. <laughs> so Of course. Yeah. yeah. I was also speaking more to like with the teacher, like asking questions or participating in what the needs of the child are too. And yeah. You and know, the, those parent teacher conferences and like asking questions about how you can support like yeah, at home. What yeah, the definitely. Doing. That was one of the best things about every year, a couple was it a couple of times a year we had the parent teacher conferences. Um, ask if you don't understand something, ask. That's what they're there for. And they're knowledgeable. So if uh, any concerns at all or questions, ask. Yes. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me again. You're so welcome. Maybe that we'll find something else to have you come and share your mama wisdom with everybody. So thank you. Well, you might have to have dad next because dad was feeling very left out last night when I said I was going to come on. All right. I'll find an excuse to have dad on. Good luck with that. He's a character. (laughs) Yeah. We'll have to do it. Speaking of feeling left out of the anthroposophical Waldorf bubble, we'll make it happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ash. Thank you all so much for listening in. As a reminder, and I mentioned it earlier, you can get 50% off your first month of Toy Making Magic by using the coupon code WALLERFI at checkout. And again, the site for Toy Making Magic is mamatellmeastory.com. Know that the show notes and resources page for this episode can be found at waldorfie.com forward slash chat with my mom. Big thanks to Waldorfie podcast partners Palumba and Sparkle Stories for helping me to bring this content to you. You can shop Palumba's selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at palumba.com. And please be sure to visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up to check out Sparkle Stories. And don't forget to use the coupon code Waldorfie there so you can get access to an extended 30-day free trial of their incredible selection of original audio stories crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind. A super special thanks to our generous Waldorfie Patreon support you can check out patreon.com forward slash Walderfee to learn more about becoming a supporter. Another great way to support the show is by writing a review. The best place to do this is Apple Podcasts, although technically you can write reviews on most podcast listening platforms. You can also subscribe to the show. That's the best compliment that you'd like to listen to each and every episode. You can also support by following along on social media. You can find Walderfee at B Walderfee, that's B E Walderfee on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Big thanks again to all all of you listening in, be well.